to have that experience of awe is, at least for the moment, to let go of yourself, to transcend the sense of separation. Many of the great wisdom traditions of the earth have pointed to what we're calling the overview effect. That is to say, they have realized this unity, this oneness of all life on earth and of consciousness and awareness. Hello, Earthlings, and welcome or welcome back to the Overview Effect with James Perrin, the podcast that's about those big experiences in our lives that shape us, that help us to see the world in a different way and therefore act differently in the way that we live our lives. We're back for 2023 after a little bit of a break. I'm so excited to bring you some incredible conversations with people this year, starting with a wonderful friend of mine, Blair Beatty. Blair is the founder of not-for-profit Farmers Footprint Australia, which is the Australian version of Farmers Footprint, which was a charity started by Dr. Zach Bush in the US. And what Farmers Footprint Australia does is gives voice, shares stories of Australia's regenerative farming movement, and more than that, educates people, empowers farmers on shifting to regenerative practices here in Australia. Now, Blair and I talk about a lot of things. Blair is a very great conversationalist and a very fun person to chat with, so we go in all sorts of directions. And we talk about a lot of things, from regenerative farming versus industrial agriculture and the need for this movement, but on a much, much deeper level, we talk about how farming and this form of farming is really a metaphor for something much bigger. It's connecting us back to nature. You know, it's a, just like in farming, instead of focusing on the yield and trying to engineer the situation to extract the maximum possible yield we can from this crop, we're actually flipping that on its head and going, how do we look after the soil and create the conditions for this beautiful crop and bounty to grow? And then taking that and applying it to our lives and going, how do we create the conditions in our lives, the environment around us, for the path of least resistance to be a shift, to be living in conjunction, in sync with nature? We talk about the commodification of the food system. We talk about experiences with plant medicines. We talk about breaking down the monoculture of the mind and so much more. You're going to love this conversation. It's a beautiful way to kick off the new year. So please enjoy this one with founder of Farmers Footprint Australia, Blair Beatty. Let's jump straight in. I'm yours. All right. Blair, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, mate. Very privileged and honored to be sitting across from you. Oh, well, I, f I could say the same. Here I am in your office with the heater. Um, you're warming me up after I just recorded with Benjamin Berry, the Wim Hof instructor who iced me down. I've been shivering all day, so I'm feeling warm and cozy now, so thank you. I'm happy to give you that. <laughs> you got a warm, cozy vibe about you, Blair. That's how you lure us in, and then you hit us with all your mm -hmm. <laughs> all your real beliefs. Yeah, it's a, it's a good strategy. It's worked very well, and obviously again now. Yep, yep, yep. Well, 
You've lured me in with your in a false sense of security, so maybe I'll do the same with you on the show here today. Let's see how we go. Um, now, there's lots to talk about, but of course, I'd love to start with the concept of the show. I like to start with storytelling and the idea that we have, we can have these overview effect moments in our lives, you know, like these astronauts describe when they go up into space and they see Earth from space and what they're really describing is a change in the way that they see the world and how they want to interact with the world. They see this beautiful globe and they feel connected to it and they come back to Earth and want to actually meaningfully create change, you know, and I feel that we all have moments like that in our life and I'd love to hear from you if you've got a story or an experience that has really shaped the way you see the world and how you choose to do what you do. It's a big question to start off with, but I'm ready to answer it. All right. Um, it feels as if I might go down a pathway that we touched on earlier this morning in a brief conversation with the good man, Benny. Please. I think when you, when you look back at, at, at my life and the, those Satori moments or those experiences that were large enough and big enough to reshape my thinking and maybe change my trajectory, they have been very much experiential and something that I chased in my younger years when I didn't have so much purpose, I didn't have too much meaning and I was wondering about who I am, I was kind of just left school, I was gallivanting across the world, I was reading books on spirituality or finding finding God, finding source or finding some meaning behind what was a pretty, not tumultuous but confusing upbringing I was an emotionally unintelligent young man at the time and I read I was traveling in the states and I read this book called The Four Winds by a guy whose name was Alberto Villojo who's still practicing what that book was about and it was it was focused on his experience with some shamans in Peru and it really struck a chord with me Um, so I chased him up and then I chased his shaman up <laughs> and I ventured to Peru and I was lucky enough to experience a, a three-day ceremony with the, that shaman and introduced to ayahuasca. Wow. And this is in the 90s. So I, I was Before like, it was cool. Yeah, it was before <laughs> it was cool. Um, it was a profound time. To, experience, to have that experience, but it also shift, shifted everything I ever did after that experience. Mm. Um, Why? What was it that shifted everything after? It gave me the knowledge that we are not separate from nature or from uh, existence. It gave me the knowing and that body knowing. So it wasn't a theoretical book that I read. Mm. It was I actually yes. experienced. And there was one point in that in those three days that we, we ventured down to a local village. What I didn't know is the local village also were using the ayahuasca that night and we sat in a hut with these beautiful people singing and it was only about uh, that time, you don't really remember it, but during that experience I realised were who they were singing to and it was the trees and the trees were singing back. Wow. And it was, in, it was that moment, 
I'd had pers- you know, my solo journey, but this collective journey where there was an interaction, an energetic exchange between life forms, well, it solidified that reality that we are not separate from nature. And it also has made me aware throughout that, from that time till now, is our separation from, and that is our core challenge as humans yeah. on earth at this moment, I believe. Yeah. Um, so wow. yeah, it was it was big and beautiful wow. and amazing. There's so there's so many threads in that that I want to pull. <laughs> I mean, what first of all, to sit like we're not separate from nature, and you had the, that community, that tribe, and the trees in relation, singing to each other. And some people say, oh, well, they were on drugs or whatever, but they weren't. They were, that was a natural a piece of nature that they consumed to open that, you know, doorway for that to happen. Mm-hmm. So it was all facilitated by nature. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Nothing in that. It was artificial. Um, I love that you, you, um, you had the, I guess, you had the wherewithal to just reach out to this person who you found interesting through their work. You know, a lot of people would, so oh, I'd love to meet this person or like, this is an inspiring author or speaker or whatever, but never actually just try to get in touch mm. with them. Something I've learned through this, even just podcasting is like people just, are incredibly open to, they put work out to the world. And if you're a fan and you want yeah. to talk to them about it, they will be incredibly generous with their time because that's what they care about. And that's the work they've put to the world. So it's you, surprising is how many people that don't. Yeah, it and is. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you can just pick up the phone or send an email and get in touch mm-hmm. with someone. And lo- most of the time, they will get back to you. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Um, but I think the biggest thing that you said there, which was like mic drop moment for me right, right off the bat, was that you had been searching for something externally in books, in you know other teachers or whatever, and then through experiencing it within yourself, the shift was you had that knowing. Mm-hmm. You know, so no longer did you need the external validation or confirmation yeah. or direction. You were like, I've glimpsed it. I've felt that within myself and that's carried through for the rest of your life. Without a doubt. And that was, I guess that was the door open. That was that, there it is. That's our potential. The challenge beyond that was how do, how do I bring that as to part of my daily life? And that's when the contemplative religions and all that beauty becomes evident in, in meditation. That's, that's another access point. And lately, you know, breath work, I mm. think, is another. So we've had that potential all the time, but I needed that big experience to actually know where I needed to go, touch that, and that gave me the, gave me the motivation to try and find that and be able to access for me, that experience and that beauty and that complexity for the the rest of my days you know Mm. yeah and not keep searching for it externally through continuing to rely on you know the the medicine which some people fall into the trap of doing but that's Mm -hmm. the that's coming from the same perspective as i need it from an external source rather than getting using it as to get a glimpse and then internalizing that and going how can i cultivate this because i know it's there I've yeah. seen it, I've touched it, mm-hmm. and now I can cultivate this within myself. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. And, and it's, yeah, it's been a story that's wound around all of my days and still to this day as well. I still, that, that's a foundational moment. Mm. And I'm just experiencing that consciousness or source 
and seeing that in all other life forms and understanding that, you know, in our scientific materialistic worldview, that consciousness is not a manifestation of our brain, it is ever present and our brains are only a filter to access it, you know? Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Big topics. Big topics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the it's the, the the unmeasurable, the unquantifiable. You know, sometimes even like you can't put words to it. You know, and like you the language doesn't do yeah. it justice, right? Mm. And and of course those things become unscientific because the very nature of science is you have to be able to measure it. <laughs> so it actually filters out anything that's unmeasurable. Right? But those are and, mm. and it's not to say that only science or only the unmeasurables are important we need both but we it's the other wing to the bird yeah right yeah that we that we're just starting to unravel now i feel or Mm. Mm re-unravel after we've not been we've clipped that wing for how many thousands of years yeah yeah but it's it's it's, the psychedelics play a big role here you know like you are not the first person on this show who has said that it was psychedelics that opened the door for you, Mm. you know, and um, like there's still a stigma around them, obviously, but that's slowly breaking down, but it's incredibly profound. The amount of people that I've spoken to um, that are like, yeah, that opened a doorway for me and they've Mm -hmm. gone on to do amazing things in the world. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Mm -hmm. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Um, So, Maybe from psychedelics to farming then. <laughs> farming psychedelics. Oh, yeah, we could talk about that too. Um, but your your most recent venture, you're a man of many talents, but your most recent venture and where you definitely find yourself now is Farmers Footprint Australia, which is super exciting. Um, maybe before we get into the what Farmers Footprint Australia is doing, um, maybe we talk about some of the issues that it was born out of Mm. you know so what are and you've been in the the food and the farming and the and the the natural world for a long time now but can you maybe just twist the knife a little bit for us on what are some of the big issues that you've seen in i guess the problems so to speak with the way that we're growing our food the way that we're living in disharmony with nature and um how those are really trying to be addressed through your work yeah, I can do that. <laughs> so I think one of the crux issues that we have around our food and our relationship to it is the commodification of it. We've lost our... Food is our access point to nature, right? It's mm. what feeds us, dry, fuels us. And when we turned that into some commodity and gave away our relationship to it, and thought then gave out and trusted an external source to deal with that then we did ourselves a huge disservice we've given away the responsibility which is ours is to keep us healthy and as soon as food becomes a commodity it's not about health or vitality or happiness or longevity in nature or in humanity it's about the bottom line Mm. and if it doesn't work on the bottom line then i think over the last couple of years we've seen that large corporations and institutions don't really care too much about your health um 
and I think that that's a big challenge we need to address for one and acknowledge and then how do we overcome it um there's a few pathways and happy pathways we can go down um in what we're doing to, to address that in farmers footprint um i think some of the the other knife twisting issues is our uh what we've done to the soil mm. in, in our methodologies around farming and this is by no no means pointing fingers at any farmers. It's it's a, an industrialized, commodified beast of a thing when you have pharmaceutical companies, petrochemical companies, banks, insurance companies all leaning in to this commodity for a bottom line. Um, farmers become a utensil in that game. Mm. And what we've done in those methodologies is destroy the the life force beneath our feet where all of our food and our health actually starts mm. um, you know and when you say that the I like that you went straight to the commodification of it because I've thought in you know my mind you know there's in in farming the the problems you know like yes yeah, soil depletion you know, lack of nutrition, dwindling nutrition of the food, the impact of um, chemicals, you know, glyphosate and all sorts of other chemicals and artificial fertilizers and pesticides, um, like runoff, the influence of extreme weather events, all those things. That, and then even like farmers' mental health and farmer bankruptcy and farmer suicides, those are all problems. However, you got right straight to the core of the problem. Why the, is the core happening? of all those problems, which is the commodification of it mm. and the disconnection from from our connection to growing a food. And when you say that, like, the commodification of it makes it transactional, you know? So we see food as, like, even when we go to the... We, we don't even go to the farmers. We go to the grocery store mm-hmm. and we just instantly pay some money and we get our food and it's a transaction and that transaction's over there's no like there's it there should be relational there's no relation yes mm. it's it's very transactional versus food should be yes relational we either have a hand in growing it or we know someone that does and then we're linked to where it's coming from and who's growing it and the hands that it's gone through and the soil that it's been you know cultivated from and in that we are connected to it mm-hmm. and it's no longer commodified you're right that's that's cut straight to it it kind of feels like the where the source is yeah and it, i I, th- I think from a, a a human perspective that change can can be activated pretty quickly when we just look at our own health like if we start taking seriously responsibility for our health we need to know where our food comes from and what's in our food and how nutritious our food is mm. so where has that been grown if you start looking at that way, it's, it's our biggest investment in our life, right? Mm. It's not a car, it's not a house, it's your health. Yeah, That's how we can live the biggest and fullest lives that we can. If we are without health, we struggle. So it doesn't matter what your bank balance is, it does, all of that's the minutiae and the materialist crap that we get distracted with. What we need to fulfill our human potential on earth is our health. Mm. And we fuel that health with proper food that's grown with under healthy soil, without chemical intervention. Um, and most of the time, and the beauty that sits behind that is having a relation to it and who grows it. 
Mm. If you know thy farmer, then you immediately start taking responsibility from as to, oh, how does he grow his food and how do, how do I want to make choices based on my food? So I kind of, I kind of feel it's a, maybe I'm being simplistic about it, um, but it's a really good one to unlock and it's a really great topic to come in on mm. when we're looking at our food system because hu- consumers can change the dial of food system transition they are the most potent force. They can change a market by demanding a new market or a different product. And that, the source of that is people taking responsibility for where their food comes from mm. and investing in their health, truly investing in them wanting to be the best version of themselves possible. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it seems obvious when we state that, <laughs> but then you look around and you're like, why are we not doing what seems obvious? You know? <laughs> and and the, the, the incredibly obvious thing is, and I come from an, like an environmentalist and environmental engineer and activist background, but um, human health and environmental health are one and the same. It's mm-hmm. not, they're not even linked. They are actually the same thing. You know? <laughs> but for, for whatever reason, in our disconnected world, we seem to cleave and separate everything, you know, reduce them. And so we've got environmentalists working over here and we've got health practitioners working over here. and You've got farmers working over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it seems like, I guess, Zach was the first one to really kind of popularise the connection between the two. You know, mm-hmm. he came from his kind of medical background and started looking upstream and going, well, where's all this disease coming from? Mm-hmm. And instead of trying to band-aid it with... Um, you know, medical treatments, he started to go, oh, it's coming from the food. And he, he popularized that link between the microbiome and the soil biology. And as soon as he did, we all just kind of went, oh, duh. You know, but for whatever reason, it's taken us forever to realize it and start to, to, to piece it together. And, um, you know, like, like I think about um, one of the seminal kind of works that I read earlier in my kind of environmentalist journey was silent spring by rachel carson you know mm-hmm. which really brought to life ddt that was a time in the 60s when ddt was everywhere and and people were saying back then i don't know i wasn't born but from what i understand they were saying oh, ddt's fine there's no studies to show that it's harmful on human health but that's because we hadn't studied it enough you know? <laughs> but we used it but it, we used it we pumped it out everywhere and then it obviously created all sorts of health and environmental issues and then finally it got banned and you would have thought we'd learn from that, but here we are again using Roundup and glyphosate is the main one, but then there's all these other sorts of chemicals. So we're still in that. We're still in that paradigm. And I guess mm-hmm. that, like, that's a big thing that even Farmer's Footprint has been calling out, right? It was like glyphosate and particularly that story around, you know, Monsanto and how they've been able to lobby and twist. Like, can you t- maybe can you shed a bit of light on that? You'd know more about it than me, but like... The, the, the corporate influence, because we've made food a commodity, then all these, the, this snowball effect has occurred that we've got to this place where big multinational corporations are doing literally criminal acts to disrupt our food system. Mm-hmm. They sure as shit are. <laughs> like, what, what, what's, what's one of the worst things you've seen? What's one of the worst examples? I think... I think that there's lots of examples, micro examples, but I think one of the big examples is just how glyphosate works, right? Mm. It works for what it needs to do. It kills things. And the fact that we've created 
uh, genetically modified some of our food to become Roundup resistant mm. scares the bejesus out of me. But mm. yet the amount that is used within our grains and cereals is phenomenal because it works again it comes back to the commodification of a food source but what what we're discounting in that process is one we're genetically modifying genetically modifying our food without testing the longevity and what that does to our own dna we're dousing this this food substance with glyphosate which is now proven to be a water soluble toxin that will not only end up in and and disrupt our GI tract and the beautiful tight junctions in our guts, hence all our ch- challenges with leaky gut autoimmunes, it gets in our waterways and in our clouds because water creates rain, right? Mm. So we've just kind of we haven't even acknowledged this to this point now because there's so much money vest invested in the this industry that it's it's got to what, what you said before it's a criminal cartel of large institutions and companies for the one for that are profiteering from poisoning our planet and ourselves mm. uh, there's and there's a lot of stories behind that and there's a, there's court cases which are coming out then the, there's a lot of unveiling but the reality is it's still happening. We don't have governments going, hey, we need to stop this right now and have a look at it mm. because it's hurting our people, which is what they're meant to be doing. The coercion and the corruption that we see across all Western... Ca- caveat on this, we're speaking about Western industrialized company uh, countries, right? Mm. M- most, of the food, most of the food in the world is created by peasant farmers. Um, so we, we, we do need to keep bringing that back to go it's us white fella colonial story that mm-hmm. we're, we're in here not to discount it at all but i mean that story the the big story in that is what i've just sort of portrayed and that's what i can't get my head around mm. that we're still here yeah we we well, haven't made any there hasn't been any large inroads not not only are we still here like st- just replacing, for example, replacing DDT with glyphosate as an example. Um, But we're actually actively taking steps in the opposite direction in that rather than returning to, you know, natural, traditional ways of farming, we're now creating, as you said, GMO, Roundup Ready crops that are going to work in conjunction with Mm -hmm. this chemical. And then we are... Um, or the, the you know these companies are locking in farmers so that they can only grow these crops and they have to buy they don't seed so they have to buy the seeds every year from them so they're actually locking them and in and they won't get insured if they don't yeah and the banks won't support them if they don't and 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 if and if my my worry is that we're hearing more and more about about glyphosate and you know we're starting to see some court cases where people are being paid out um by Bayer, which owns Monsanto. But um, my worry is that, okay, glyphosate might get banned one day, but then we're just going to replace it with another product which is unknown and unstudied and it will take us a couple of decades to realise, oh, shit, that's just as bad as Oops, well. we did it again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like we've done that, I think, with BPA, you know, like BPA yeah, yeah, plastics. Yeah. Like, right. Oh, BPA-free, BPA-free. And they've just substituted it with BPS, which is just less studied. We don't know about it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Good work, guys. Yeah. And no, no one's taking responsibility for this and no one's quantifying the effect it has on health and our health healthcare system. Yeah. Like, no, is that a discussion? No. Um, and we all... I, I've had gut problems. We all have gut problems. I think I, I think that's uh, in our day and age. It's it's just uh, it's it's part of part of living, right? And what, we, and what do you do when you have a gut problem? You go and see a you know a, a, a physician or maybe a specialist. And I'm not you know saying that everyone in the medical industry is bad or anything like that. But just the way the system's geared is that you'll probably get a, some sort of pharmaceutical to treat it. Mm. <laughs> you know, which is just kind of perpetuating the problem again. It's cashing, it's double downing, it's cashing yeah. again on this. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And when you take that witness perspective on all of this, you, you kind of can't believe that this is where we've got ourselves. We're, we have amazing potential. We're, we're amazing creatures. We are the highest technology or technological um, creature on earth. And this is, this is where we're at. Mm. And somehow, so what, what forces and what indoctrination or what skill set have these guys in these corporations got that have rounded us up to be in this predicament? Um, not to doom and gloom because there's pathways out and there's so much beauty that we're, we're uncovering now. But how do, how the hell did we get here? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it comes back to what you started with your personal story, to be honest. We got here because we lost our connection with, you know, who we truly are. We lost our, the glimpse of what the relationships between all the things in the world are, you know. Mm -hmm. And when we're in that box, we can't see outside of it because we're in it, right? So um, for, the, for the most part, for most of our lives, certainly for the majority of my life, I'm probably still in it, but I don't know what I don't know. And so we can just go by what we see and what we're told, right? And so I guess what maybe that gets us to the work of Farmers Footprint Australia is an example of like using, educating and telling stories and connecting people, building those connections back between people and farmers and consumers and to, to, to what is natural and what is real to, to get a glimpse, just like you got a glimpse when you had your ceremony oh that's out there okay now how do i build that within mm. myself trying to get a glimpse of oh this glimpse this is a, a vision of what's possible and what we could be doing and how do we cultivate that mm -hmm. so maybe that's a, a good platform to lead us into what is farmers footprint australia and what are you trying to do farmers footprint australia wants to tell the story for our regenerative around our regenerative food story right so in, in essence, that's accelerating or, and amplifying our food system transition to better practice ag. Big thing to do, but what we see as key points in that story, in, in that is creating awareness, education, and then support. So the awareness is a storytelling piece. Every, all change, I think, has come through a story. Or a lot of change can come through through storytelling, mm. and we're still storytelling creatures. And you look at the mediums around today; we can tell a story, and that can be told, and a lot of people can see it. So, if we're telling the right story, and we're engaging a consumer, um, 
and our stakeholders and our farmers and, and showing them the pathway to what we could be and where we could take our food system that is supporting our health, animal health and planetary health. There's a lot of some smarter people than I tend to believe we've got about 60 harvests left before we're in deep shit. Wow. That's pretty activating. Yeah. Without, you know, without scaring people into, into looking at this, we, we believe that we, have, we can engage a lot of people in this be, just because of the nature of food. It's our connection point to, to, to nature itself, right? Mm. So Farmers Fulton was birthed out of a charity in the States. Um, an amazing man called Dr. Zach Bush and David Leon are co-founders. And they've been telling stories over there about our potential and about the, the amazing people already on the ground, which is showing the way and illuminating this path. I've been working with those guys for a, for about 18 months now and in trying to build this and bring it to Australia because we need to tell our story as well. Um, and that's the work we want to do is bring into life the beautiful stories of regeneration on our land, coming back into connection with and then taking responsibility for the food we eat. Mm. We feel that Australia is ready for it and especially after the last couple of years we need to sort of start looking at this pretty seriously yeah because it has the byproducts of food system transition are pretty wonderful in it can sequester carbon in back into the ground and bring us back into harmony it can deliver us nutrient-dense food it can repair our water cycles it it starts to bring back biodiversity onto the land and without biodiversity we don't have much future so just that that key note of of food system transition or moving from a, away from conventional and industrial into better practice regenerative agriculture can see massive changes we believe across how we how we exist on earth and with earth yeah it's a it's a different for me it's it's a a different way of seeing our relationship with food and where it comes from more so than just organic for example and like i buy like i love organic don't get me wrong but the, i guess organic was kind of the first iteration i think which was like we just want chemical free food mm. but it was less about educating the customer or the consumer on how that food is grown and where it's grown and the interconnectedness of things it was just kind of like this is spray free you know at mm -hmm. least you know that you're not consuming chemicals and that's obviously vitally important and i think at its core organic was about that but i don't know my experience learning about organic was more just about okay i can certify that this you know is chemical free but through the regenerative kind of mindset and the storytelling it's taking a much more holistic view of telling that story of going well it's not just the chemicals but it's also you know where it's grown how it's grown the 
the way in which that land is used in between harvests, you know, the way in which we're focusing on soil health, the way in which we're focusing on farmers' mental health and, you know, their sovereignty to be able to run their own farm. Like, it's so much more holistic. And you just showed me before we um, started recording the, the video that you guys just put out, which is amazing, incredible quality. And there's so much packed into that video that I feel like it could have been a full-length documentary. It will be soon. Yeah, <laughs> exciting. I'm so glad because it's not just say it's not just to say here's a, another you know certification tick on your food label. It's like this is an example of what the change, the shift looks like applied to our entire end-to-end food system. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly exciting. Uh, it's it, 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 this stuff lights me up every day, mate. <laughs> and it especially when you get to you get to meet some of the people which have been the troubadours and the guys involved in this space that are doing it because it's just has to be done mm. they've had the bravity to to step into that space and when it when when i see the land the agricultural landscape the courage that it takes for someone to to move away from what might be considered conventional farming and go on their own a different way the risk attached to that and the cultural um potential for being ostracized in small communities the for small farming communities it takes a fair bit of gumption to believe that you can do it and also know that this is the way of the future and it's the way we all must move towards so having relationships with those people and being able to engage with them and learn from them are the beautiful stories that we want to tell because they they need to be told and mm. it's an it's it's a really thing of it's a thing of beauty when people get to hear those stories and then that inspires them to start engaging more about where their where their food originates from and the actual people which toil day after day to grow it mm. um yeah the name regenerative agriculture in itself um is finding some challenge mm. it's becoming loaded <laughs> right like sustainable well it's like yeah, it's very similar to sustainable yeah. and i always remember someone told me sustainable okay well um they asked me so if i said to if i asked you how your relationship's going <laughs> and you said oh yeah it's really sustainable yeah it'd be like oh i'm sorry about that yes i'm yes. sorry to hear that i've, I've um, often thought of it like sustainable like we're well but what we've got right now is pretty shit is that what we want to sustain yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah unfortunately with any of these names it gets it'll be co-opted it'll be greenwashed it'll be attacked it'll be utilized so it's a really interesting one we, we had a conversation with our team um a couple of days ago around well, what is the definition of regenerative agriculture? Some guys have gone into detail about what it is and um, and given some some robust definitions. But when you're talking to someone and someone asks that question, and they do quite a bit, it, what is it that we say to them? And a guy, a guy called Sam Marwood yesterday from Odonata summed it up pretty beautifully to me and said it's a mindset. Yeah, yeah. It's you can't define it exactly in bullet points, but I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and and when you say it's a mindset, it makes me think that um, 
this is an example of that applied to food and the food system, but it doesn't stop there. Far from. Right? It's just actually, a, it's just a, a representation. It's just mm-hmm. a vehicle for this mindset in action, you know, mm-hmm. and this mindset. That This is the amazing thing. This is the overview effect. This is the shift, right? Because um, we're applying it to our food system. And when we see that, oh, that's how we're, we're, I'm starting to see the interrelatedness of things in the way my food is growing and where it's come from. Where else can I now look in my life? Oh, my health, mm-hmm. you know, my, my health. business. Yeah, my business, my relationship, my family, my friends, my, yeah, like, just like on my farm, am I going to keep, you know, applying pesticides and fertilizers and, you know, artificial, artificial products to basically suppress symptoms? And just like with my health, you know, am I going to keep taking a antibacterial and this, you know, this pharmaceutical to try to suppress symptoms? And just like in, I don't know, my relationship, am I just going to go to, I don't know, some marriage counseling or maybe, I don't know, <laughs> whatever that looks like? Or am I going to completely shift the way that I view the world and say, and go, ah, this is, this is all interrelated and we've got to get behind it. And not only that, but also not place the blame on others. You know, like, like I called out, okay, I, I, I called out Monsanto before and it's not to say that, um, it's not to say that not placing the blame on anyone, it's not to say that what they're doing is okay, but it's also not going, they're the only cause of the problem and I can just put all of my, I can just point the finger at them and put all the ill will on them, which means I don't have to take any responsibility. And in doing that, I actually outsource my like ability to mm-hmm. respond and my sovereignty to them. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, 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 it's an element of going, ah, oh, shift in the way I see the world and then going, ah, oh, I have some agency here and I have some yeah. ability to actually take charge yeah. with the and way I, that I, I, I can take part. Yes. And I can, yeah, that, that's the key one when, Whenever we talk about these these challenges that we face for humanity, when when we point to others and give away that power, it de it deactivates our ability to to have a positive response. Yeah. So, and that's the beauty of food systems and agriculture. We can all take part, and we mm. all kind of need to take part. And the joy, the joy, harking on the last couple of years of challenges where we've seen that people, you know, locked into small spaces to live and not being able to travel as they probably should be able to the beauty that's risen that I've, I've witnessed around that is more connection to our food and people starting to grow food at home and what comes out of that is profound it's a simple act possibly the most sovereign act you'll ever have in your life is to go out and pick your own food right mm. but when you see people that have been forced into maybe forced into doing that and the the change in their relationship to themselves out of being able to do that and then their relationship to the food they eat and to then the bigger picture of where or how i'm growing a bit here but i want that in all of my food mm. so they start to look at different places and different people to purchase their food from and maybe they start questioning of 
what the supermarket's supplying and go to Farmer Joe down the road who they've driven past 20 times and never really stopped. They start mm. to stop and they meet Joe and go, oh, he's pretty awesome and he, I can see the cows. that he, You know, that story starts to unwind as well just by the simple act of going out and growing your own food. Mm. And that's been super prevalent during our challenges over the last couple of years. Totally. Seeds ran out, seedlings ran out, people were activating in that space and it's still present today. They're still doing it. They haven't mm. stopped. It becomes just quite addictive when you get into the garden because yes. it's actually therapy. You're getting, you're connecting to the mother, you're earthing, and you're increasing your you know, your microbiome by yeah. by getting your hands in the soil. All these other beautiful byproducts of, of one potentially simple act. Mm. So yeah, I give thanks to our. The crazy psychopaths in charge. <laughs> well, they're helping us see the other way more clearly, right? Well, they're pushing us really yeah. quickly to 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 look. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is the, I think this is one of the great lessons of our time. You know, our generation mm. is this is the lesson that we're learning now, and it's going to be a multi generational lesson. It's not like oh, we've learnt it, hooray, happily ever after. Like we're going to be learning this for some time, but. This is what we've been called to learn, you know, how to return back to uh, tr traditional ways of connecting with nature, but in a contemporary mm. world. Yeah, exactly. We, we don't want to push away the amazing technology that we've created. We just need to be really discerning about what's healthy and what's not healthy. Mm. What's going to support life on earth or what's going to take away connection. And, you know, um, that's where... That's sort of where what we're witnessing at the moment and what what gets me up every day and why I'm so passionate about this transition of our food and our connection to nature is I have two children that I at least want to know that what I've been able to do has offered a pathway to them to some sort of abundance as they grow older and they can have children um, and I'm pretty sure that's probably one of the biggest motiv the motivating factors that you do the amazing work that you do is that we want to leave a healthier legacy for our kids and we can see the potential and the pathways to do that. Mm. We can see the wonderful technology to, to support it, but the crux of that is that we need to reconnect. Mm. We need to go back, you know, the ancient futures kind of story, right? Yeah. I think the... I think the the biggest challenge to that, so we're talking now way more than just food. We're talking this mindset shift, this shift in the way that we actually see the world, the way we actually choose to live our lives. And there's obviously great payoff, like necessary for our future human and environmental health. The challenge is that it's really hard, particularly early to get started. You know, for someone who is still like doesn't know what they don't know, and again, we're all in various stages of this and I'm definitely still in a stage of this, but like, it's kind of like going to the gym, you know, you, it's, 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 it's lifting a muscle because the, the, the corporations, the system, the shops, the, just the way is geared the other way. Mm. Like it's inconvenient to start at least, right? It's convenient to just go to your Coles or go to your big massive whatever, buy cheap online, whatever it is, and be disconnected from that. It actually takes responsibility it takes agency it takes mm -hmm. effort to do that to go and meet your farmer to go and find your food this way to start your backyard garden like it's not easy you talk to any farmer it's fucking hard but 
it's like the best analogy I think I can come up with, maybe you've got a better one, is like going to the gym. It's like training a mm. muscle. And the more you do it, not only the easier it gets, but the more you feel the benefit of it. That's the that's the key. Yeah. The, the more you do it, the more you want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, because the byproducts of just doing it are incredible. Mm. It might, yeah, that, that's a good analogy and I might use that again. Mm. Because once you start on that pathway, there is no stopping because it's a, it's the byproducts. Like from the gym, you get the endorphin rush. Mm. From from going and eat, eating better food, you're going to be healthier. Mm. Meeting the farmer, you start to have a relational connection, mm. and the the these beautiful byproducts that pop that pop up as you go on that journey mean that there is no going back from the journey. Mm. And so once you know, you know. You yes. can't unknow this stuff. Yes. You can't unexperience that stuff. And if we can, say, from a farmer's footprint perspective, if we can play a role in that engagement or that initial engagement, that uh, catalyze that engagement, then job done. Mm. Because once you once you once you start on that journey, it's really hard to to push it aside again because it makes you feel good. Yeah. And not doing it makes you feel... Once you know, you know. And once you know, if you don't do, then yep. you know you're out of integrity because you're not like choosing to do what you know you should be doing. Mm, I know I could do. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. And it does pay dividends, right? Like during the floods where my little community, um, we got cut off by road access um, for about a week. Um, and like luckily, well, maybe not unluckily because we put the effort in about 2Ks up the road from us um, or a couple of farmers that we met because they have a roadside store years ago and we started buying produce from them. We started helping deliver some produce boxes for them. And when all the shelves started to run dry and no one could get caught to Coles and Woolies, we would just call up Jenny and Matt and say, hey, you guys got some strawberries today? Yeah, come on up. You know, like that pays dividends. Mm -hmm. But we didn't do it for the selfish reasons. I mean, that's a benefit. Yeah. But you do it because when you know that it's the right thing to do, you hold your higher self accountable to that. You're like, this is the right thing to do and I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do, mm -hmm. not because I'm going to get strawberries when no one else can. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also just happens to be a nice bonus. It's a nice little perk. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Blair. And it's like the, the, a, a quote that um, comes to mind um, from an incredible influence, an incredible mind and speaker in this space, Vandana Shiva, mm -hmm. you know, and she talks about monocultures of the mind, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, I think that's a, that's a beautiful theme that we've covered today is like, we, we see it in the food system and this is a beautiful way, a beautiful catalyst for us to see it in action, but it's much more than that. It's the mindset shift and it's breaking down that monoculture of the mind that we have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a, it's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to do. Yeah. Yeah. Not look to the world and go, okay, where's a problem over there? Let's go fix mm. that. Now there's another problem over there. Let's go fix that. Now there's wealth inequality. Now there's climate. Now there's, you know, soil depletion. Now there's homelessness. Let's go and fix them all in isolation. It's actually going, ah, oh, they're all kind of symptoms of the same problem. Yeah. They sure as shit are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And once you know, you know. <laughs> love it i love it <laughs> maybe that's a beautiful place to land it on for now because i feel like we could pull another thread and go for another hour yeah there's a bit there's a bit we could keep unpacking yeah it's such a beautiful topic but i'm, I'm happy to land it and um 
they appreciate just having a yarn, mate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so do I. Thank you. It's, you know, this is uh, the one of the re- – there's a few reasons why I do this, but one of the reasons is that we don't have these types of conversations often in our society these days. You know, we don't have these kind of deep, intimate, like sit – look at someone in the Mm. eye for the better part of an hour talking about deep you know philosophical ways of living generally we're bombarded with advertising and 24-hour news cycles and social media likes and you know this this short-term ways of communicating so this offers us a more deep intimate way of communicating so that's one of the reasons why i do it and like like you know how you said you reached out to that author um years ago you know, I, I reach out to people like yourself and others and people just say yes. Because we want to talk about this sort of stuff. We're, we're yearning for this type of We need connection. this dialogue. Yeah. And we don't have to agree. We don't have to agree. That's true. You know, that's uh, what, what I'm seeing at the moment is that I want to find people I disagree with and have that conversation mm. because we haven't been able to have it. It's kind of been the cancel culture has put paid to yes. sort of having those really juicy conversations i want to find people that and that that's why i'm it lights me up of the the opportunity through farmers footprint is to go and have dialogue with farmers that don't agree with what my value is and mm. where i see the food system going mm. they're the guys i want to be sitting in in a room with yeah. um very intimidated of course <laughs> probably <laughs> yeah but when i guess when you're when you can cultivate a really strong sense of self and you're not dependent on the kind of validation, the external validation of your point, mm. like you've had your, you know, your experience with ayahuasca that, you know, you're like, ah, oh, I don't need to read that in a book anymore because I felt it. I know it's there. So you've you've got that to lean on within yourself. It's the same kind of thing with like your identity and your beliefs and your convictions. And as long as you hold them lightly, that you're open to changing them because I think that's important throughout our lives. But um, when you can just have them within yourself, then you can actually hear an opposite point of view and not be triggered by it Mm. because you're like, that's not a like it's not a threat it's not a threat because i'm so kind of grounded within yeah. my own beliefs it's, i can hear that mm-hmm. without be, without going oh, that's an attack on my identity yeah do you know what i mean yeah there's freedom so that's much real freedom in that's it. freedom that's true freedom right there it's mm-hmm. like emotional freedom mm-hmm. yeah that's the freedom that like victor frankl would talk about you know on man's search for meaning um, that's hard to cultivate. It's easier to, easy to say that on a podcast when my beliefs aren't being challenged right now. <laughs> Harder to live it. Yeah. But um, I wish you well on that journey. Thanks, man. I'll, I'll check in and let you know how I go. Yeah. I'm going to be triggered all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, thank, thank you for making the time as always. Always a pleasure. And thank you for um, yeah, the work that you're doing. And and telling these stories and helping to dismantle the monocultures of our mind. Thank you for doing all you do, mate. And I think, um, yeah, we're a powerful force when we are collectively co-creating our new futures. Yeah, that we are. Amen to that. Cheers, brother. Cheers, mate. (laughs)